Good ideas are like red wine. They need time in the cellar for refinement. Here's where I keep mine. Welcome to 55 Degrees. The Indispensable Need for Kindness. This is the fifth in the series of stories behind the stories in my book, Bread and Cup, Beyond Simple Food and Drink. In these episodes, I wanted to give a little more context behind writing the book, but also bring it to the point of what's next, what's beyond simple food and drink for me. I've always had a desire and ability to bring people together. When I was in college, I helped organize our annual road trip to Dallas for the OU Texas weekend and the football game between my Sooners and the Longhorns in the Cotton Bowl. We'd drive down Friday afternoon, hang out together, spend the day at the Texas State Fair and football game on Saturday, and then drive home on Sunday. Always in there, somewhere, was trying to figure out where to eat. In a group of a dozen or so, it's not an easy task to please everyone. Eyes always turned to me to come up with a destination. And at one point, we were sitting around in a hotel room, everyone asking me where we were going to eat. And I brought several places up for consideration, but they kept being shot down. And in a fit of frustration, I left the room and told someone else to decide I've had enough of trying to make everyone happy. I walked down the hall toward the parking lot to blow off steam, and a friend followed me out. I asked her, why do they do that to me? Why do they want me to lead, but then argue with the conclusion? And she said very confidently, they look to you because they trust you. Don't forget that. And I didn't. These many years later, this was an important early discovery for me. How would I steward this trust people would put in me? And what are they trusting me with? When I became a chef, I realized quickly the huge trust factor going on in a restaurant. One, you're trusting me to serve something that you will take into your body that won't make you sick. And actually, that's fairly basic and easy. Follow the right steps and plan for food safety, and that's not hard to accomplish. Yet this is the negative side of the coin. On the other side of that coin, you are trusting me with so much more. You're trusting me with a moment, be it a special occasion like a birthday celebration dinner or a, or a first date or anniversary. You may be getting engaged in my restaurant. That's a huge trust You're placing in me not to screw it up for you. So I entered into this role of trust very seriously as a chef and restaurateur. There is a name for it. It's called hospitality. The essence of the word means to give care to strangers. In its original understanding, before the days of hotels and modern Airbnb, it was not uncommon to find travelers stranded in need of a place to shelter, and often their only hope was to rely on the kindness of strangers in that town to provide a place to sleep and eat. While the expression of hospitality has changed, the need for it has not. 
A person still needs a bed to sleep in for the night. And it can be as basic as a cot in a hostel. But we've also turned that into an art form with luxury hotels and accommodations when traveling for business or vacation. The traveler also still needs something to eat. And it can be as simple as a piece of toast or ex-Benedict with hollandaise and champagne. People will still need to be taken care of. And while the expression of hospitality will morph, the need for it will never change. And this is what captured me in the dream of owning a restaurant. This understanding that great hospitality is a transaction of trust between the guest and the host. And I understood this very clearly. So I set out to create that kind of place that felt good, that felt comfortable and safe. More than just great food, I knew... It had to feel right if you're going to trust me to feed and nourish more than your body. I was going to take care of your soul in the process. And the business of hospitality is unique to other professions. Like in plumbing, I'm trusting you to unclog the drain, but I doubt I will take pictures of the free-flowing drain and post it on Facebook once you're done. But in hospitality, it's extremely personal. It's not just merely functional. So you're dealing with needs and preferences that may seem odd or unusual because I didn't grow up with the understanding of what on the side meant. I just ate what was in front of me. I didn't know I could have a preference when it came to food. And I was quickly introduced to the vast differences in my upbringing and my average guest. And breakfast is the worst for odd preferences. Um... I want one egg scrambled and the other over easy. And I don't want the bacon to touch the potatoes. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Had that. I think it's like our coffee. People want more predictability in the morning. That's why breakfast was the most difficult meal to serve. But like it or not, I must accommodate it. That's hospitality. And not only is it personal, the feedback is immediate to know if I did a good job or not. The guests could be irate, rude, or even silent in their feedback, but it's pretty easy to tell either way. Folks don't usually hide an outstanding experience. Through it all, the only way to deal with a guest, whether satisfied or upset, there's only one way to treat them, with kindness. And this became my obvious bias when it comes to dealing with any kind of conflict. In my industry, I had no other choice than to treat my upset guest kindly. If I didn't, that guest would now become my enemy and work actively against me, and my business would suffer quickly. With the internet, every guest was a potential food writer and critic. But in my mind, the guest was mostly right, except when they came to being rude to my staff, and that's where I drew the line. I believe kindness always works, especially when it comes from higher up the ladder. I would always tell my servers to call me in to a table if there was a problem they didn't feel safe or comfortable dealing with, because people will treat me better, sadly, than they would treat the server but I can probably diffuse a situation immediately just with my presence. If the chef comes to the table in a kind manner, rarely 
did the situation ever escalate? And I could then add kindness by comping the meal or bringing something up unexpected. And I never went wrong or regretted a display of kindness. I like telling this story told in a Union Square hospitality workshop that I attended. The presenter was describing how in hospitality, we're occasionally in the business of being wrong. It's a service we must be ready to provide. She told this story. A regular guest of the restaurant called and made reservations for him and his client that evening. They were celebrating the closing of a significant business deal and they wanted to finish the night at the restaurant. He asked for the best bottle of Chardonnay that the house had, as that was his client's favorite wine. The sommelier chose his best French white burgundy, which is made from Chardonnay grapes. And when the guest and his client arrived, the sommelier brought out the white burgundy ready to impress. When the guest saw the bottle, he scoffed and he said, I said on the phone I had asked for a Chardonnay. And instead of trying to correct the guest, he looked at the label befuddled and replied, My mistake. I obviously grabbed the wrong bottle from the cellar. I'll be right back. The sommelier returned with a California Napa Chardonnay. The guest was delighted, and that was the point. In the business of being wrong. Because sometimes we take a hit for the sake of kindness, because an argument won't accomplish anything nor does it really matter. So where does this kind of motivation come from that's inherent to my industry? But it has to be more than a choice about good customer service strategy. Hospitality has to be real, not fabricated, else your true colors will eventually show when push comes to shove. So how does one develop an hospitable mind? How can hospitality influence beyond the hotel and restaurant setting? Well, I think one, just consider the alternative of continuing to react out of defensive anger. Where does that lead? An eye for an eye leaves both parties blind. Anger is, is an alarm. It's a signal that says something is wrong and something needs to be done about it. There's nothing wrong with anger. But the role of anger is to alert you to action. It is never meant to dictate action. And the parenting advice that I was given, never discipline your child in anger. Most of my parenting regrets involved getting angry and responding out of it. And where has it gotten us? I believe unmitigated anger is the most destructive force in our social network today. I mean, where does it not exist? Politics, social media, news reporting, road rage. Can kindness really make a difference here? To this, I would challenge, why would it not? Why would it not make a difference? Because like produces like. Anger produces more anger. Kindness produces more kindness. When I respond in kind, 
I only further empower the same response out of someone else. My anger makes you angry. It doesn't create solutions. The only chance for victory is to destroy you, not to work it out. And this becomes the goal of unbridled anger. The answer to change in politics is not a new candidate. It's a new response. Ideology doesn't matter if it's driven by anger. We will still be a divided people governed by anger, regardless of left or right, red or blue. And what causes this lack of faith in kindness? Are we thinking that it won't work or we might get run over? And Robert Herjavec, the nice one on Shark Tank, told a participant one time, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. And I think that's a great distinction because kindness requires great strength and self-control. It is far from weak. And anger isn't something to manage. It needs to be displaced. If I had an angry guest who is upset because their reservation got overlooked, I will be more effective in diffusing that anger, not by focusing on it, but by providing him a solution. I believe there is a better way. And if kindness works in the hospitality field, why not elsewhere? Then that's why I titled this episode, The Indispensable Need for Kindness. Displacing anger with kindness. Because anger isn't something we should manage. I want a more kind world. I start with becoming a more kind person. And how can I become more kind? Well, it does require some self-reflection. And I think here's a good question to start. Am I sick of the anger I see in myself and in my world? Because anger is incredibly addictive. Just like any addictive behavior, it provides something in return. An addiction, the way I describe or define it, addiction is the exchange of my control for the promise of your reward. Be it anger or alcohol, they both offer promises, but they also take away my self-control. And the addiction to either won't be broken and won't change until I'm sick of what the addiction is doing and continues to do. Because right now it feels good to be angry. There's so much to be angry about. And that little device in our pocket provides an instant relief at any time I desire to take hit of it. I can rage against the machine with unfettered, furious delight. I can find people to join in and agree together in our anger, but change won't come until I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the addiction. I'm sick of the anger. Earlier this year, I got sick of it. I stopped consuming news or reading social media posts. I could just feel its effects on my peacefulness and well-being. And I had to minimize my exposure to that anger. My only so use of social media now is to drop positive seeds in its compost via kind thoughts or ideas that are meant to encourage, not tear someone down. And I think an easy first step to becoming a more kind person is just stay off social media. 
Is the way it makes me upset worth its use? I mean, look at your posts for the last month. If all you're doing is using it to funnel anger, you have to ask, is it worth it? But we do it because we love it. There's a satisfaction in anger that creates a feeling of power to the point it becomes addictive. It's far too enjoyable. Kindness must be embraced for its indispensable nature. We can't live without it. And we'll destroy ourselves if we don't. All it's going to take is a small movement. I mean, we witnessed in a very short period of time how a pandemic of disease changed our entire world. Is there any reason we can't expect to become infected by kindness? Any reason why? What's stopping it? So make today count. Start out by being kind to someone that pisses you off. You might start a revolution of kindness right there. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.